1-800-273-5960. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Fatalism is still the topic as I speak with many of you by telephone or text messages or those in the congregation. I keep hearing, Pastor, I didn't know what fatalism was. But now that you've spoken about it, you keep the focus there. I'm beginning to see that my life has been controlled by fatalism. Let me again give you a dictionary definition of this word, and then we're going to go to the scriptures. Fatalism is the acceptance of all things and events as inevitable. Well, you immediately say, along with me, I don't believe in fatalism. I don't believe in determinism. Well, fatalism, let's speak about more deeply. It is submission to my circumstances. It is the belief that I am powerless to shape the future. It's an attitude of resignation. It's an attitude of discouragement and despair, saying nothing is worth fighting for. Nothing that I do will make any difference. It's a rejection of personal commitment to take a stand against wickedness or against evil. It's sarah, sarah. Whatever will be, will be. I can't walk that way as a Christian. I'm called to take up the sword of the Spirit. I'm called to go to war against the power of darkness. I'm called to walk as Jesus walked. Let me share a passage of Scripture with you. This is King David in Psalm 101. He was speaking to the Lord in the prayer closet. He says, I will sing of your love and justice to you. O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The question is, when will you come to me, O God? I hear this from many Christians. I pray and nothing seems to happen. I cry out to God and there's no answer. Or as one person said, I'm I'm angry with God. I'm angry with him. Why is he letting this happen in my life? No, David says, I will sing of your love and of your justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? 
David knew that if he was not blameless before God, he could not expect an answer to his prayers. He knew he could not simply say, whatever God wants to do, it's all right with me. But then God, God answers David. Let me read you now God's answer. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. They will not cling to me. He's saying that the deeds of faithless men he hates. They will not cling. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Will you minister to Jesus? If you would minister to Jesus, you must be blameless at heart. You must not set your eyes on anything vile. All you have to do today is sit down to watch a movie, open a magazine, look at the modern books, the television, the papers, the internet, and every vile thing will flit before your eyes. David is making a vow with the Lord, and he was saying, I will not set before my eyes a vile thing. It was Job who said, I've made a covenant with my eyes to not look upon a woman with lust. These are vital decisions. God hates the deeds of faithless men. He hates it when men will not cling to him. He hates a perverse or twisted heart, a double-minded heart. He hates they who have a double mind will dwell far from God. The Lord God of heaven will have nothing to do with evil. In light of that, let's look briefly today at a man's life. A man who was unwilling to leave his fatalism. Even when confronted by the God of heaven, he would not change his ways. We find the story in the first book of Samuel, in the second chapter, 
we find that a precious woman by the name of Hannah has cried out to God year after year. She's been tormented and treated very poorly by the second wife in the household with Elkanah. She is barren. She has no son. She cries out to God. She is not willing to accept the reality that she has no son. She will not accept that. There is no fatalism in her heart. She cries out to God. She cries out to God. She cries out to God. Time after time after time, like Jesus spoke of the importunate widow who kept going to the judge until the judge said, I better give this woman what she wants or she's going to wear me out with her coming. God wants us to wear him out with our coming. He does not want us to accept our circumstances and say, this is how I must live. There must be something much deeper in the heart that cries out that says, I will not accept this condition. This precious woman wanted with all of her heart to give her beloved husband a son. She knew that children come from God. And so she cries out to the Lord God of heaven. There is a priest there who rebukes her. And she says, oh no, do not consider your servant wicked. I have not been drinking wine I've been praying out of a great anguish and grief. And Eli says to her, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And suddenly she has prayed through to victory and her heart is at peace. She goes home and she immediately conceives and gives birth to a son. God wanted her to not accept fatalistically the circumstances of her life but to cry out to him because God wanted something from her God wanted a holy man and in Samuel he received what he wanted he wanted to transition from these wicked priests to a kingship God had a plan for the nation. He needed a holy man to execute that plan. God always needs a holy man or a holy woman who will not accept what is, but go to the Lord God of heaven and cling to him and ask that the circumstances be changed, that God receive the glory and the honor, and that he have what he most wanted. And God wanted a man. And he needed a woman who would pray through, who would not accept her barren condition. Now this young boy grew up in the presence of the Lord. But this Eli, he had two wicked sons. 
they had no regard for the Lord. That was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would plunge it into the pan or kittle or the pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites that came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned and the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest raw meat. He will not accept your boiled meat, only raw. And the man would say, well, let me let me offer my sacrifice first and then take whatever you want. And the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'm going to take up by force. They wanted the filet mignon. They wanted the choice parts of the beef for themselves so that they could roast it. They didn't want it boiled. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. But this young man, Samuel, was just a boy growing up in all of this. Now the presence of the Lord was there, but there were not many visions because Eli and his sons were so displeasing to the Lord. Eli was an old man. He heard about everything his sons were doing to Israel, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He saw the unclean sexuality going on right in the midst of the tabernacle worship. And he said to them, why do you do this? I'm hearing from the people about the wicked deeds that you're doing. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? But his sons would pay no attention Finally, the Lord decided he was going to have to put these two sons married, but playing with the women who came to the, to the tabernacle in Shiloh, dishonoring the Lord. He finally decided the only answer was to put them to death. So a prophet came, and he spoke to Eli a very straight message. This is what he said. This is First Samuel, the second chapter, verse 27. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when you were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering 
made by my people Israel. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then comes a very severe pronouncement of judgment against the house of Eli. And the Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. And then he tells him that both of his sons are going to die. They're going to die on the same day. And he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my mind and my heart. An obvious reference to Jesus Christ. For he was the priest who was raised up. A priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Aaronic priesthood would end because it was simply of the law. Now, while all of this is going on, there's a little boy, Samuel, who's ministering before the Lord under Eli. Now, again, it says, chapter 3, verse 1, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Some people today say the presence of the Holy Spirit and the giftings of the Spirit, they're not for today. They, they were just for the apostles. They say that because they have not experienced the visions of the Lord. They've not experienced the Lord coming and talking with them. When you have had the Lord come and speak to you, as I have verbally, when you've had the Holy Spirit come and give you visions, you no longer doubt the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But many today say, no, that's not for today. They're saying that because the sin of the church has been so great. And their teaching that you can walk in your sin and still be saved is so offensive to the Lord that there are no visions of the Lord in their lives or in their churches. There is no rhema word being spoken in their churches because they are like Eli, living in a fatalism that causes the Lord to be grieved. When I hear someone say, the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, I know that person is a fatalist. I know that person has not been filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that person does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They are doctrinaire. They are sentimental. But they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Any person who says, I'm free to walk in my sin and still be saved. I'm still a part of the family. Does not understand what the family of God is. They have denied the truth. And they have brought shame on the name of Jesus. One night, Eli was in bed 
in his usual place. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, close to where the Ark of the Covenant was. I don't know if he had yet drifted off, but suddenly the Lord comes to Samuel, who does not yet know the Lord. I don't know how you could live in the temple and not know the Lord, but that's what the scriptures say. He was in the temple, but he didn't yet know the presence, the the vivid presence of God. And the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel answered as he always did to Eli, here I am. And he immediately leaped from his bed and he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me? Now Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and and laid on his little pallet on the floor in the tabernacle of the Most High God. Again, the Lord came. The Lord came. Samuel. Samuel immediately got up again, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, it says in verse 7, 1 Samuel, the third chapter, verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now please hear me clearly. The word of the Lord can be heard by the servants of the Most High God. If they could hear in the Old Covenant, surely the New Covenant is much more glorious. The Scriptures say the servants of God know the voice of Jesus. Know the voice of Jesus. Some of you have walked for many years as Christians, but you still are like this little boy Samuel. The word of the Lord has not yet been revealed to you because you have believed that you could walk in your sin and still be saved. I want to tell you today, God loves those who cling to him. And if you do not yet know the word of the Lord, if he has not come and spoken his rhema word into your heart, if he has not yet given you visions of knowledge and understanding, if the Lord God has not quickened the scripture to your heart and caused you to renounce all evil, if you do not cling with all of your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are fatalistic. Repent. And begin to cry out to God that he would come and speak with you and reveal himself in the scriptures. Personally, that Jesus would come and reveal himself to you. Now a third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli again and he said, here I am, you called me. 
by this point, Eli is frustrated, but suddenly it dawns on him that the Lord God of heaven is calling on this young boy, not on Eli. Eli has walked in such a manner, he has clung to his sin. And God is not giving him visions anymore. He's not speaking to Eli anymore. And Eli is the priest. He is the head priest of the nation of God. Some of you listening are pastors. And God is not speaking to you anymore. Because of your sin. Because you will not leave your fatalism and turn from your sin and rebuke your congregation and rebuke sinners you instead favor them above the Lord God of heaven because you're afraid of losing their tithe money or their offerings or their approval. You're afraid you'll cause people to turn against you in the church. This is one of the great issues of our day. Many churches negotiate a salary with a man and hire him as a pastor, and now he is a hireling. And if the church doesn't like how he preaches, they'll fire him. Never should a church be able to fire a pastor. Never should a church have that authority over a man of God. A man of God stands responsible to the Lord God of heaven. And if he is not free to speak the word of God boldly and straightforward, that church simply has a hireling. Eli suddenly realized that it was the Lord himself who was calling this young boy Samuel. So Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down again. And if he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. Now I can assure you he did not drift off to sleep. This time he was carefully listening. Now there is a passage of scripture in verse 10 that is stunning to my heart. It says, The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. The Lord came to Samuel and he stood there beside his bed. How many times as a daddy I would go and stand beside my daughter's bed and say, Honey, are you asleep yet? No, Daddy. We need to pray together. And I would kneel and pray at my daughter's bedside. Sometimes I would go in and say, Are you asleep? And there would be no answer. And I would kneel and quietly beside my bed, my daughter's bed, quietly pray for her. And in those times, I would pray for her future. I would pray for a godly husband. I would pray that she would never leave the gospel of Jesus. I would pray that the Lord would rule over her life. I would bless her in the name of the Lord. I would ask that every power of darkness would be rebuked and turned aside. 
I would pray that she would grow to be a healthy, strong woman of God. Praise God, the Lord heard my prayers. It's not always been easy, but both of my daughters are married to godly men today and have brought forth eight beautiful grandchildren. The Lord is standing beside his bed. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Oh, if only Eli had come before the Lord and said, Lord, speak to me, for your servant is listening. But that was not Eli's heart. The Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to refrain them. If you fail to remain, if you fail to restrain your children, who now may be adults living in your house, and you fail to restrain them, their sin is on you. Let me say it again. If you have adult children living under your roof, and they are sinning against the Most High God, that sin is counted to you. And the judgment for that sin will rest upon your life. If you have adult or teenage children living in your household, make certain they are walking in accord with the living God of heaven, or God's judgment will be upon you and your household. The Lord said, Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offerings. In other words, no blood sacrifice can remove that sin if you will not deal with it. Now Samuel lay down until morning. You know he did not get a wink of sleep that night. He now had the revelation of God Almighty. And now he knew that God, in the midst of his love and mercy and kindness, was also a God of absolute justice and righteousness, and he would pass judgment on sin. In the morning he was up first thing, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and he said, Samuel, my son, here I am. I love that Samuel only knew how to say to God and to Eli, here I am. He was available. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. 
May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. Oh, he can be very stern with this young boy favored by God. Why will he not be equally stern with his disobedient adult children who live and work in the house of the Lord? Some of you today know that in your church you have homosexuals in your choir. You have homosexuals in your band, in your leadership. But you're afraid to say anything because you don't want to cause a stir. But you stay there. Some of you know you have dishonest people serving in your church but you do nothing about it. You will not confront because you're fatalistic. Some of you know there's great wickedness in your household, but you will not confront it because you are afraid your wife or your husband may leave you. You know that you have adult children or teenage children in your house who are walking completely against the Lord and totally ungodly, but you will not confront it because you are sentimentally afraid of the result. Samuel tells him everything. He hides nothing from him. Now here's the key line of the entire message today. Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. A totally fatalistic position that angered the God of heaven. Well, I'm just going to let Jesus take care of this. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to let Jesus take care of this problem. He knows all about it, and, and I don't have to do anything about it. He knows all about it. That was Eli's attitude. Whatever the Lord wants to do, that's fine with me. I'm going to trust in the will of God. Are you kidding me? The Lord has told you, Eli, that he is going to put your two sons to death. He is going to bring destruction upon the household of God. He is going to bring, bring destruction into Shiloh. He's going to bring judgment. And you're saying, whatever God wants to do, that's all right. No, it's not all right. It's not all right that God wants to put your children to death. It's not all right that God wants to bring judgment on your household. It's not all right that he wants to destroy this church. It's not okay. It requires an awakening of Eli's heart. It requires him to confess his fatalism and say, Oh God, please spare my sons. Where is the intercession? Where is the crying out to God? Where is not giving up? But going to God and crying out until the Lord God hears. Where is the prayer of Hannah in Eli's heart? Oh, Eli will quickly criticize dear Hannah for her prayers. But he will not pray. 
oh, I'm tired of the church being a, a show place where we honor one another and lift one another up and, and sit in the chair of, of the important, of the VIP. I refuse to sit in the chair of the VIP. I am nobody. I am not important. It is Jesus who must sit in the chair of the VIP. It is Jesus who must be lifted up. And we must learn how to cry aloud. We must learn how to pray. We must not be comfortable and satisfied with the status quo where God is going to bring judgment upon America. He's going to bring judgment upon the Christian church in America. Do you think we are going to escape God's judgment because we live in America? Look what's happening to Christians around the world. Dear precious Christians in China, makes me weep. They've banded together and they've said we must go to Jerusalem. And so they are sending out missionaries for all of the land between China and Israel. These are Islamic nations. And these dear men and women who are being sent out on this mission field without money, expected to get jobs, many of them as servants or slaves in the household of a Muslim family. They are telling their families goodbye, knowing that they will be martyred for Jesus Christ. Knowing that what is more important than anything in the world is that the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward in great power and authority. And these dear Christian believers, these Chinese believers, are going out and testifying that Jesus is Lord, even though they know their testimony in Saudi Arabia, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Libya. They know their testimony will mean that they will be martyred, that they will be whipped, that they will be tortured, that they will be killed. But we take Eli's position and say, you know, whatever's, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm powerless. I can't do anything. I'm nobody. How can I do anything for the Lord? You can cry out. You can intercede. You can take a stand against wickedness on every hand. You can say, enough of this wickedness in the church. Well, pastor, they might throw me out. Great. Get tossed out of the church. But do not tolerate the wickedness. Take a stand for righteousness. Take a stand for Jesus Christ. Rebuke the evil and the darkness that is sweeping over and destroying the Christian church in America. Stop being fatalistic. Stand up. Get a backbone in Jesus. Some of you work in places that are not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just grumble about it. Do something about it. 
call people together to pray. Confront darkness. Speak for Jesus. What would Jesus say if he were working in your place? Oh, pastor, I might lose my job and my retirement and my... What about these Chinese Christians? They've already said goodbye to their mother and their father and their families. They know they're on the way to martyrdom. They know they're on their way to the celestial city, as John Bunyan would say. Are you fatalistic today? Or have you taken a stand for Jesus Christ? The Lord was with Samuel, it says, as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. But I can tell you this. As the Lord appeared at Shiloh, and he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, he did not reveal himself to the fatalist Eli. And just as the word of the Lord said, there was a battle with the Philistines. The two sons took the Ark of the Covenant. They went out to the battle. Thousands of men of Israel are dying. They were being defeated by the Philistines. More than 30,000 men died. Why? Because Eli was fatalistic. Because Eli said, well, let's let God do whatever he wants to do. And so now God is doing what he wants to do. He doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it. He's bringing judgment on the household of Eli. And because he's the head priest, he has to bring judgment upon the whole church. They're saying, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us? Why is this happening to us? Why is this happening to our nation? Because your leader was fatalistic and allowed sin to continue unchecked. Eli's two sons die in the battle. They're killed. They're murdered. They're executed by God. The ark is captured, and it's taken into the Philistine land. Now God later will bring it back to Israel, and then it will sit in storage for many years, waiting for a king who would please the Lord, King David before the ark is brought out of storage. Eli hears the cry. He hears the upset in the town. He's sitting in a chair. He's old. He's fat. He's 98 years old. He's blind. He's blind spiritually and he's blind physically. What happened? What happened? He calls out. And the word is Israel fled before the Philistines 
and the army has suffered heavy losses, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead, and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli falls off his chair, breaks his neck, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy. The daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant near the time of delivery, and when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into immediate labor and she gave birth, but she was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention. And she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. The glory has departed because of a man who was fatalistic, who would not rise up, who would not say, God, forgive me. Lord, come and speak with me again. Lord, I will deal with my sons. I will remove them from their place. I will discipline them. I will cut them off. I will have them even stoned to death. But Lord, don't leave us. He favored his sons over the Lord. He favored his sons over the Lord. And he said, whatever the Lord wants to do, that's fine. Whatever the Lord wills is all right with me. I tell you what, I am not saying that to the Lord God of heaven. I was up early this morning crying out to him with tears, saying, oh God. And I was naming each family, each person who's a part of the prayer chapel, I was calling on the name of the Lord to spare them, to rebuke them for sin, to call them out of darkness, to deal honestly with their hearts. And when I go to preach on Sunday, I'm going to rebuke any sin I'm aware of. I'm going to deal faithfully before God because I don't want the judgment of God to come upon the National Prayer Chapel. I'm also... weeping before the Lord for America, for you. Because I know that if we do not, as a nation, leave our sin, the judgment of God is going to fall heavily upon this land. Our economy is near collapse. Many of our states, especially the wicked state of California, are in drought conditions. Is it any wonder that California is suffering this drought? The crops are drying up. Is it any wonder because of their wickedness against the mighty God of heaven who brings judgment upon nations, who brings judgment upon states? I'm crying out to the Lord for our nation. I'm asking the Lord to rebuke the leadership of this nation. 
the Congress, the House of Representatives, the Senate. I'm crying out to God against the Supreme Court. I'm crying out to God against the President and the Vice President of the United States. I'm lifting them up before God and I'm saying, Oh God, have mercy on their souls. Turn them from their wickedness. Cause them to repent of their sin. I can't be passive. I can't be fatalistic. There has to come a change in this nation. There has to come a change in the pulpits of America. I'm crying out for the pastors of America. I love the pastors. I love you. If you're a pastor today, know that I don't condemn you. I love you. But you must rebuke your church for sin. You must repent of your own personal sin. And you must turn to the God of heaven. There must be a change in America. The pulpits of America must once more flame with righteousness. Our pulpits must burn for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must cast off the wicked and false theology that says we can walk in our sin and we're still acceptable to God because of some imputed righteousness, total fable, total lie. We must be made righteous. We must leave our sin. We must be redeemed by the blood. heart is broken. I weep before the Lord for you and for the church that you would turn aside and weep with me. That you would not tolerate sin. That you would take a stand against it. You take a stand against wickedness. You would not be fatalistic but you would know that our salvation is in the Lord, our God. Now, the last two weeks I've not spoken about this, and because of that, we're way behind in giving for this month to cover this month's radio bill. I'm just going to say, if, if you know this gospel that I'm preaching of Jesus and righteousness has to go across this nation, if you agree with what I've said today to you, even though it may have stung, if you agree with me, then I'm asking you to bring generous tithes and offerings that this radio broadcast could continue on the air and then that we could even stretch this broadcast across America. Make your check out to the National Prayer Chapel and send it to Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. My heart is saying to the Lord, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Stand with me that America will once more listen to the word of God and turn and be saved. You're also welcome to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. If 
you want to learn how to pray, you want to learn how to intercede, you want to learn how to stand, to, to totally leave fatalism behind, then come and worship with the prayer chapel. It's a boot camp. It's not an entertainment deal. It's where we're serious about Jesus and we love him and we worship him. And we covenant to leave behind our sin. Come and worship with us. We meet at All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. And it's located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Now, I invite you also to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. Almighty God, don't let us walk like Eli. Lord, don't let us be hard of heart and just say whatever is going to be is going to be, but Lord, stir our hearts to step in and cry aloud to you Cause us to pray like Hannah prayed. Lord, we don't want your judgment to fall upon this nation. We don't want your judgment upon our leaders. Lord, we want repentance in this land. Lord, have your way. Lord, be lifted up today. Be glorified. I honor your name before your people. I lift up your name, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for speaking. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Pilgrim's Progress today. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus.